0: Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading.
1: Mark chapter 3, verse 1. And he, Jesus, and Jesus entered the synagogue again, and a man was there who had a withered Hand. What does that mean a withered hand? Well of course we don't know exactly, but it seems like this man had a hand that was that never grew out or it, it had somehow shrunk up or something. He had a withered hand and it could be atrophy. could be this man's hand was became lame somehow. And it says this. So they watched him closely whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. See, they didn't watch to see if he would heal because they'd already seen that Jesus came and he wanted to heal people. But they wanted to know, will he heal on the Sabbath? Somehow or another, they got the idea, and we know where from the religious leaders, that you can't even do righteous things on the Sabbath. I mean, this is this is the way the deception of the enemy is. If he can't get you to, if he can't get you to sin, then he'll get you to go to the extreme on the other side. And so this is what's happening here. Let's go to the extreme about the Sabbath to where we can't even help anybody. And so it says here, so they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. See, they're, they're looking to accuse him because there's a jealousy about his crowds and his success in ministry. Verse 3, and he said to the man who had the, had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, those that were watching, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, now why did Jesus look around at them with anger? Because he was angry that they were willing to leave this man in this state and not want him to be healed so that they might accuse Jesus or so that they can keep the traditions of men and that bothered jesus that they would not see the heart of god for people and so it says and when he had looked around at them with anger being grieved by the hardness of their heart they were hard in their hearts toward hurting people he said to the man stretch out your hand and he stretched it out he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Can you imagine what that was like to watch that? And people are tripping out like, oh my goodness, did you see that? Watch this. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Here this, this man, Jesus, just did this outstanding miracle. This man who's been, you know, Uh, lame with this withered hand all this time, instead of being excited and saying, hey, how can we be a part of this? How can we see this happen for more people? No, they're jealous. They're jealous that he's getting the attention instead of them. You can tell their hearts are so wrong here. So they went to plot with the Herodians how they might destroy him. Verse 7, but Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and beyond the Jordan, and those from Tyre and Sidon, I mean way up on the coast of the Mediterranean. A great multitude, when they heard how many things he was doing, came to him. Verse 9. So he told his disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. What does that mean? Well, he was teaching by the Sea of Galilee, and this whole multitude was coming, and people needed to be healed. They were trying to hear. And so they just kept pushing closer and closer, and eventually you just get pushed into the sea. And so Jesus said, keep a small boat ready so that at least I can get into the boat and they won't push me into the the water, not that he didn't want to get wet, but... Who knows what time of year it is for one thing, but so it may have been cold. But secondly, you know, you keep going deeper and deeper because people are trying to get close to you and now you're so deep in the water. And so he said, if you'll keep a small boat ready, because then he could sit on the boat and he could teach. And this would effectively accomplish two things. Number one, that the crowd would stop pushing because now he's a little bit away from them into the water and they don't want to go out into the water to try to get close to him. But secondly, the amplification of a voice on water helps people to hear better anyway. So it says, he had them to keep a small boat ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. For he healed many so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. So this is evidently and obviously the primary reason people heard about his healing ministry, and they were pressing to try to touch him. And so that's why they would push him into the sea. Uh, not trying to push him into the sea, but just trying to get to him. But there's just so many people. Verse 11, And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. Now remember, this is likely Peter telling these stories to John Mark, and now to us through John Mark. John Mark. And Peter, this is the way he saw it. He's saying, you can just hear him saying this, And unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them, Jesus sternly warned them, that they should not make him known. He would not want that. Why? Because that would be counterproductive to what he was trying to to accomplish now. He's not trying to come to be made the king of the Jews The Messiah right now, though he is the king of the Jews, he's coming now to minister truth and healing to them, and of course to die on the cross and to be raised from the dead. Verse 13, and when he, Jesus, went up the mountain, went up on the mountain, and called to him those he himself wanted, And they came to him, then he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So there were a lot of disciples now following Jesus. And in fact, another gospel says he prayed all night. He prayed all night before he chose the 12. And I believe it was because he wanted to make sure to choose the right 12 people. And it says he prayed all night and then he chose them and he wanted to send them out to preach. Verse 15, and to have power to preach and to have power to heal the sick and to cast out demons. So notice these disciples are not yet even born again and they're relatively new in following Jesus and the ministry, but he was going to give them power. In fact, the 10th chapter of Matthew says he gave them power, Greek word exousia. He gave them authority. Over unclean spirits and to heal the sick. And so Jesus delegated this authority and power to them. Verse 16, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, and he's going to name them now, Simon, notice he lists off Simon first. In fact, in the 10th chapter of Matthew, it even says, first Simon. It uses the word first. But here he just lists Simon first because Peter was clearly the number one apostle of Jesus. Not that Jesus loved him better, but that there was something about Peter. I don't know if he was a little older. We do know that he was married. And maybe most of these other apostles of Jesus were relatively young compared to Peter. But nonetheless, Peter was that one. In fact, even among the three, Peter, James, and John, it's never James, John, and Peter, or John, James, and Peter. It's always Peter, James, and John. Peter was, without question, that number one sort of leader of the pack uh, who was following Jesus. So notice he names them here, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Alphaeus, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name uh, Boanerges. They were the sons of thunder. Uh, that is, sons of thunder. Verse 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite, and Judas, Iscariot, who also betrayed him. And they went into a house. So he chose the 12 and then he took them into a house. Verse 20, then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread, uh, but when his own people, heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind, his own people. So this is including his own family. At this point, his brothers, his sister, and so on. They don't really believe him. Now watch this. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, when it says came down. Now, when you're talking about coming down, what does that mean coming down? especially if he's up north in Galilee. Well, I always wondered about this because I would read this, came down from Jerusalem, and I was thinking, wait a minute, but they're going north. So why would you say coming down? If you've ever been to Israel, you would know why, because Jerusalem is at a higher elevation. And so if you were walking, as opposed to being on a tour bus, like I usually am, you'd really notice it, and you'd notice whether you're walking uphill or downhill. And so in the Bible, thankfully, it's all accurate uh, topographically. And so it says, when the scribes who came down from Jerusalem and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebub and by the ruler of demons, he casts out demons. In other words, talking about Satan, they're accusing him of casting out demons by the power of Satan. Verse 23, So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? In other words, if I'm casting out demons by the power of Satan, well, demons are part of the kingdom of Satan. So how can Satan cast out Satan? Verse 24. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. It seems evident that Jesus is saying, look, how could you accuse me of casting out demons by the power of Satan? He said that that couldn't happen. If Satan's against himself, his kingdom's not going to stand. It's going to come to an end. But he said, no one uh, no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. He said, look, I want this man to be free and delivered, but I have to address the strong man. There is a demonic spirit here. And to loose this man, I can't just get this man to just change or modify his behavior. No, I got to bind that demon that is controlling this man. So the strong man in this case was a demon. And so he's casting out the strong man, the demonic forces. And then this man can be delivered from his behavioral, mental problems, maybe illnesses and such. And so Jesus is helping us to understand that many problems that we try to counsel people out of or give them therapy or whatever, you're not going to be able to do that. You cannot disciple a demon and you can't cast out the flesh. Okay, so you have to know what needs to be disciplined and what needs to be cast out. And so Jesus is casting out demons, of course, by the power of God. So verse 28, He said, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, uh, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Jesus is bringing this up because Jesus is moving by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they're saying the power you're moving by is the power of Satan and Jesus is letting them know you are on very dangerous territory to be calling the power of the Holy Spirit the power of Satan. Folks, let's watch our words. Let's be careful who we criticize and not be flippant, because I I would rather be slow to judge than to make a mistake and to be judging the power of the Holy Spirit as the power of Satan. Now, having said that, don't get the idea that if you have erred like that and made that mistake, but you feel sorry for it and repentant of it, that God won't forgive you. Let me tell you, if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and now you cannot be saved anymore, you won't have the heart to repent. You won't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit. If you still have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, then you have not committed an unpardonable sin and you can just thank God, repent, and then believe that Jesus washes you by his blood, and then continue to walk in faith that he does. Praise God. He goes on to say here, um, he who blasphemes the Holy Spirit uh, never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Verse 30, because they said he has an unclean spirit, when really Jesus has the Holy Spirit. Verse 31, then his brothers, watch, then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside, they sent to him, calling him, and a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, here are my mother And my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and my mother. So Jesus is letting them know, not that he disrespects his own family, but Jesus is letting them know that he has respect, whether it be relatives or not, for those Mm -hmm. who believe him and those who do the will of God, those who are obedient him. He said, those are the ones that I count as my brother, my sister, or my mother. Well, that's chapter three. Don't you miss tomorrow, Mark chapter four, because Jesus is going to teach on the parable of the sower powerful. I'll see you tomorrow.
0: Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.